Good morning. Well, we are grateful for your presence this morning. We have several visitors in our midst. We're grateful that you have come our way. And as was already said, but we want to remind you, we will be having lunch in just a few moments together, and we will be having an afternoon service, and so we hope that you can stay and be a part of any or all of that. I also want to just make a mention that Wednesday night, of course, we have Bible study for all ages. Wednesday night in our auditorium class, we will be concluding our study that we've been going through on giving and stewardship. I appreciate the men who have been filling in while, while I've been out for a couple of weeks, but as Don was talking about that, as we were thinking about our giving back to God, uh, hopefully that's been a good study for all, but we'll be concluding that. We hope that you can be back with us on Wednesday night as well. Vacation Bible School is quickly upon us, as Gary mentioned in his announcements. Uh, we want you to be a part of it in any way you can. We'll certainly be looking for lots of help. We'll have more announcements that will be coming about that as we try to fill in some of our gaps. And then certainly uh, we will be trying to get a, a flyer or a, a social media post out in the next day or two so that you can be sharing that with your friends and, and on social media and even around in the community because we'd love for as many folks as possible to come and be a part of that with us in just a couple of weeks. Uh, I did not uh, prepare a, a Bible camp update for this morning. I know last week, appreciate Charles and, and Brian both filling in. Uh, while I was not uh, able to have enough voice to, to preach, and Charles mentioned we may talk about that, I'd like to share a few statistics with you, maybe in the next week or two, but just one more time, thank you to all who, who supported us in the endeavor, sending your kids, coming out and visiting, and certainly, certainly all the congregation did here to help with uh, finances and, and giving supplies and all of those kinds of things. One final announcement before we get into the lesson, uh, but just last week, the Polishing the Pulpit folks announced that they were putting out an app that you can download, uh, that you can use to, to access their service. It's called PTP 365, the idea that, that Polishing the Pulpit is coming up in just a couple of weeks, uh, but they have a service in which they put all the sermons uh, online onto one service. And before last week, you could only access it through a, a web browser, through being online, a laptop or a computer, or, or maybe your phone, but through that. But they have completed working on an app, and so you can download that. I used it this last week in preparation for my lesson on Wednesday night with the East Ridge congregation. And then it just so happened while I was at East Ridge that uh, one of the gentlemen who helps oversee the Polishing the Pulpit work, Luke Griffin, who attends there now at East Ridge, was telling me that they're going to have an entire room set aside at PTP this year uh, just for recording, just for making sure things that are getting updated and put to the app. This is a service that they charge for, and our elders graciously pay for us to have access. It's a congregational key that we can use, and all you simply have to do is sign up. You can see me. You can see Brian uh, when he's around, when he's here, and, and we can help you out. But you could, with your phone, with your computer, stream uh, endless hours worth of lessons from not only the Polishing the Pulpit that will be coming up, but previous years back many, many years, including special services and lessons that they have around the country in between PTP every year. It's a great service, and we just want to make you aware of those kinds of things so that hopefully you will use them because we're thankful for our elders for pay, paying for them. I know it's not news for many of you, and it's something that nobody wants to talk about, uh, but it is time that another year of school is about to start, that it is upon us. 
I have a friend who always posts where I used to work at the steel place I worked at, uh, who worked with me there, but he always liked to give his teacher friends a hard time. And he'll, he'll post in the middle of the summer, only four weeks left till teachers have to report, or, or only three Sundays left till teachers have to report. And I'm not trying to give anybody a hard time. He's doing it facetiously, but most of us don't want to know that another school year is upon us. But as I was thinking about that and a couple of other things this year, When I think about the many unsung heroes in the world, you know, we went through this a couple of years ago with the pandemic. We talked about our our medical people and how they did such a good work through the pandemic of caring for folks in an uncertain time. And we think about our first responders and we think about our military and our police and all these folks who sometimes we know they're there, but we don't fully recognize them and give them credit for what they do. It may not be in the same dangerous way. It may not be maybe laying your life on the line in the same way, but I think our teachers are sometimes our unsung heroes. We think about our teachers, and many of us, even as we get advanced in age, can go back to a a favorite high school teacher or elementary school teacher in our mind and think about the impact that they had upon us. I saw an outline recently from a friend of mine on Jesus and teaching. And I got to thinking about teaching in general and the idea of teaching. Of course, one way is that there is a new school year that is upon us. But I also got to thinking about the fact, as we just mentioned, that a new quarter is about to be upon us here at the Saudi church. I didn't look at the list just a few moments ago. I meant to between services, between class and worship, but I think we're good for the next quarter. But I see Miss Lisa nodding me, telling me yes. But if you want to help teach, you can see Lisa, you can see Heath. They've tried to get us going out through this year at least, and then we'll kind of build upon that to get teachers for every quarter because teachers are important. I know that I get to be the one that stands here each Sunday and fill the pulpit or down there each Wednesday night and teach. But I also know how important it is that we have teachers for every one and for every age. And it's important that we all chip in and try to help as we think about teaching the congregation. And so, yes, we may be good for the third quarter of this year, but if you're not teaching now or you've not taught recently, go check the list for the fourth quarter or the first quarter of next year or however it may be to see how you could help teach. Vacation Bible School is coming, as we've mentioned. We need teachers. And this afternoon, what we're going to do in our 130 lesson is think about us individually, how we need to be teachers, maybe not necessarily in a program, VBS, Bible school program, or whatever here with the congregation, but how we should be teachers. The fact is this morning, it was and it is and it always will be that Jesus is the greatest teacher, period. Are there some things that make him the master teacher? Are there some characteristics that he had that we could take and apply to our lives? I think there's at least, at least three, and we want to examine them this morning. Number one, his attention to his own life. What made Jesus such a great teacher? It was his attention to his own life first. Have you ever been involved with someone that you would call a hypocrite? Someone who you looked at and said, I don't want you to tell me anything because I know how you live. Maybe that was religiously or spiritually. Maybe it was in regards to something else. You don't know what you're talking about. Why would you ever try to teach me anything? We need to pay attention to our own lives. If you have a bulletin in front of you, the first point on the screen is not the first set of blanks in your bulletin, but this is an extra one here. He was a man of sinless character. 
We know Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. The Hebrew writer would say that he was tempted in all points as we are, as we were, yet without sin. Peter would quote from Isaiah in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22 about Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. The other thing we might say when it comes to this idea of paying attention to his own life, it's a little phrase that's tucked away in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 1. You see, if I talk about famous teaching passages, famous passages that we all know, nobody's going to pick out Acts 1-1. But Luke records for us by inspiration there the pattern that Jesus followed in his own life. And here's what he did. He says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do, first he would do it, and then he would teach it. He didn't just walk around telling everybody else what to do, but not following that himself. You see, it's a little small phrase tucked away there, but Jesus began both to do and to teach. Is that something that we practice in our lives? Paying attention to ourselves first so that we are able to teach. In fact, Paul said it as well to the young evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse number 16. Excuse me. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. The concern, the warning from Paul is take heed to yourself. Where should Timothy begin if he wants to be a teacher? Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine and continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those that hear you. It's not just about being the boss. It's not just about being a know-it-all. But it's about someone who is paying attention to themselves and then helping others. Along the lines of this first point, in your bulletin, we notice that he was a man of supreme consistency. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. A few verses later, John chapter 8 and verse 29, he says, For I always do those things that please him, the Father. That's whose will he was after. And he was supremely consistent when it came to serving God. This is not something where he said, do this, but he didn't do it himself. He taught and he practiced the golden rule, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. He taught and he practiced loving your enemies, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. We don't have enough time this morning, but we could go on and on from there of all the things that he taught others, but he also followed himself. Jesus truly is the example that we should strive to follow. Now here's the deal. I'm fully aware he was perfect. I'm fully aware he was sinless. I'm fully aware that we cannot match him in that kind of way. As humans, we will struggle, but we should strive to follow his example. We have to pay attention to our own life. Not that we are sinless, not that we are perfect, but that we are striving to do the will of the Father. And if we are striving to do those things, then we are able to go on and teach. Because people can look at us, and you know what they'll know? They'll know we're not perfect. But they'll know and see that we're trying, that we're doing our best to serve God. And then maybe their ears will be open. Maybe their heart will be open to listen to the teaching that we want to share with them. Jesus was the master teacher. What made him the master teacher? Well, it was his attention to his own life. 
Number two, though, it was his application of the scriptures. His application of the scriptures. I appreciate Charles picking out songs this morning that went along with this idea. The idea of give me the Bible, that should be our mantra. Teaching others about scripture. It was Jesus not only saying, hey, I'm the son of God. I've got it all figured out. You simply have to listen to me. But pointing the way towards God's word. First of all, he taught God's word is the authoritative standard and guide. He taught that God's word is the authoritative standard and guide. Was Jesus the authoritative standard and guide? In a sense, yes. But he didn't simply always say, look how wonderful and great and perfect I am. He would say that it was by his words that we would be judged. But he pointed toward God's word. How often did he ask? How often did he ask? And I don't know the answer, and maybe it might take you a while to figure it out, or maybe it would take a simple Google search. But how often did he ask, have you not read? What was his point to his hearers? Have you not read? Matthew chapter 19 and verses 4 and 5, as they come to him and they ask him questions about marriage and divorce, what does he go forth to say? Have you not read? That he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In Luke chapter 10 and verse number 26, a lawyer, we might be intimidated by someone like a lawyer. A lawyer comes to him and asks a question about eternal life. And what did Jesus say? He said, What is written in the law and what is your reading of it he would refer back to the scripture he taught that we are to live by God's word we're familiar with the famous passage Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4 man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God he taught that God's word is the authoritative standard and God we're striving to do the same thing in a world in which so many people say that our guide is how I feel it's what I think. If I think there's 27 genders, if I think that whatever else might be true, it's what I think. That's not what Jesus taught. He taught that God's word is truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. We need to be impartial as best we can. And do you know how we do that? We don't stand upon what the elders say. You better not stand upon what I say. Because I'm not perfect and I don't have it all figured out. We need to be impartial by teaching the simple truth of the word of God. Now I hope that as I speak the truth you maybe can take what I say and use that. But I am human. I make mistakes and mess up. We need to be impartial and just teach the truth. Number one, regardless of the audience. Isn't that what Jesus did? The rich people, the poor people. Those who were leaders, those who were followers, it didn't matter. Regardless of the audience, he taught the truth. Regardless, number two, of the potential response. You know what I'm guilty of sometimes? I, I'll be honest with you. You know what I'm guilty of sometimes? I'm guilty of looking at someone. I'm guilty of judging of whether or not I think that they would obey the gospel. Or whether or not I think that they're worth it. I know that sounds harsh, but sometimes somebody might walk in those doors and they're, they're dirty. They may appear to be homeless. And we make a judgment and say, well, I don't think they're worth our time. We we'll might give them a little bit of, of food and send them on their way, but they're not, they're not worth it. We look at a family member and we say, they 
won't listen. We make judgments. Jesus didn't care about the potential response. Those who would listen to him, those who would reject him, it didn't matter. He still taught the truth. And also he taught God's word with a variety of approaches. We're going to touch on a couple of points this morning that I want to save for this afternoon. But we'll set the table here very quickly. He taught God's word with a variety of approaches. As we think about ourselves this afternoon being teachers, let's think about some of those approaches. But for this morning, consider how many people believe that the Bible is thousands and thousands of years old. It's out of date. It's out of touch. And it's no good for reaching people anymore. Jesus could take a truth, a simple truth, and use different ways to make that known. Let's just take one this morning, the receptivity of people and their hearts. We know that some people won't listen. We may not know that for sure, and we need to teach them like we said a moment ago, but, but some people won't. Some people will. Some people will mull it over. How did Jesus teach that? He taught it in the parable of the soils. Could we use a different illustration today, a different approach to teach someone about the idea of the receptivity of people's hearts? Sure. He used many different types of approaches, and we'll examine some of those if you'll come back and be with us this afternoon. But third and finally this morning, why was Jesus the master teacher? What made him the master teacher? It was his affection for people. His affection for people. Every person was important to Jesus. If you were here last Sunday afternoon, Brian talked a little bit about relationships. He talked about the phrase that you've heard him use and others use sometimes that people don't care how much they know, how much you know, until they know how much you care. There's a little bit to that, of course. It's why we use it as a phrase. The idea that, that we can't just beat people over the head. We can't just be authoritative as the ones who have it all figured out and we're the end-all be-all. But we have to show affection for people. First of all, about Jesus, we see that he was compassionate. He was a compassionate teacher. John chapter 10 and verse number 11, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the shepherd lays down and, the, and gave his life for the sheep. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 5, he loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood. He was compassionate, was he not? He was compassionate, first of all, toward the grieving. Do you remember in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 15, he meets a funeral procession, right, of this woman who has lost her only son. And you can imagine the wailing and the grieving that she was going through. He meets this funeral procession, and what does the Scripture say? He had compassion, and he raises that boy from the dead. He had compassion, second of all, toward the sick. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. Thirdly, he was compassionate towards those with physical and spiritual needs. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 42, he sees a leper and he heals him. And then we read again from Mark. Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, Jesus sees the people and he says they are like sheep without a shepherd. And he begins to teach them. 
Yes, he met their physical needs, but he also met their spiritual needs. We might say that he genuinely cared about people. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 21, when Jesus saw the rich young ruler, what did he do? Did he make the same judgment that I just talked about? He said, you know what? I know you won't listen to me. I I know how many things you've got, and I know that you won't listen. No, this text tells us that he looked at him, and he loved him. He wanted him to do what was right. He was compassionate. But number two, he was approachable. He was an approachable teacher. Now, this is another one that we're going to come back to this afternoon because I want us to dig a little deeper. But as we mentioned before, consider the various audiences that he faced. How many different people approached him? I know it's hard for you to do right now in the middle of this lesson, but you've been flipping around the gospel accounts already as we've referenced scripture. How many different people approached him? Both those who were suffering, both those who were servants, those who were leaders, all these different people approached him. He was approachable. And if you've been with us for any amount of time, I've often used the example of paparazzi here in our country today and around the world. It's not the best comparison, but I've often used that to describe these types of settings. But in, in that example, there are people who are pressing to get in, right? And these, you see them sometimes on TV. The paparazzi are pressing around this particular movie star or athlete. And there's security who are trying to keep them out, right? Big guys that are pushing them back and telling them to get away. I've used that as an example, but does that sound like what was happening with Jesus? Not usually. He didn't have a perimeter around him that said, no one's allowed to get within five feet of me. He welcomed everyone. He was approachable. He was also adaptable. This is something else, again, we'll spend a little bit of time on this afternoon, but he was adaptable. Let me simply challenge you here this morning to think about yourself and your opportunities. Some people say, well, you know, I'll teach adults, but there's no way in the world I could teach a bunch of kids, right? I couldn't teach a kid's class. Some people say, well, I can do seven-year-olds. Give me seven-year-olds all day, first graders, second graders. Give me them, but there is no way I would teach in front of adults. I remember being a youth minister, and one time we were doing a vacation Bible school, and, and they'd asked me to teach the adult class. And one of the other youth ministers that I was working with said to me as I was the intern, he said, he shook his head at me and warned me. He said, you know, that's dangerous. You get in there with those adults, they'll eat you alive sometimes in that adult class, right? Some people say, well, give me kids all day, but there's no way I'd try to teach adults. I don't feel like I can do that. Some people say, well, I could stand in front of a room. I could teach a crowd of people, but there is no way in the world I would sit down with someone one-on-one. And yet other people say, give me a small audience, but I would never stand up in front of a crowd. Jesus was adaptable. And I understand, even in my own life, some people look and say, well, you know, you're a preacher. You've been preaching. You've been speaking this many years. When I was a kid, I was not as out of my shell I was usually the one that wouldn't hardly speak in class or do anything. And I kind of had to adapt. I kind of changed a little bit. I know that we all have different comfort levels. But can I challenge you this morning under this point to try to be adaptable, to try to push yourself, to step out of your comfort zone. Maybe it is children. Maybe it is adults. Maybe it's starting with a smaller group. Maybe it's going to a bigger audience. But as much as I love standing in front of you each week and and proclaiming the word of God, Can I tell you that most of the conversions that happen, 
most of the true teaching that takes place often takes place in a much smaller setting. I'm thankful to be able to preach, but maybe you were taught by someone in a one-on-one setting. I know that we can't be perfect as Jesus was, even in this manner, but could we stretch ourselves? Could we try to improve with our adaptability to say, yes, I'll try that. I'll try that for just a quarter. And we said it, I don't know how many times, as the elders and deacons and, and all, we'll, we'll gladly put you with someone to try to learn to be a teacher. Just sit in on the high school class. Just sit in in the kindergarten class and maybe see what happens and maybe you'll find it's not as scary as you think. I know sometimes kindergartners are scary, but they're not as scary as you sometimes think. And maybe we need to be a little more adaptable. We might try to sum all of this up by saying that Jesus was simply remarkable. He was more than an instructor. Do you remember someone, if you went to college, maybe even high school, that you had as an instructor? You thought, you know what, they were, they were a good lecturer, that they could deliver information, and I understood it, but they were simply an instructor. They didn't seem very personable. They were kind of hard to get to know. They were a good teacher when it came to just simply giving instructions or facts. Jesus was more than an instructor. He spoke to his hearers' learning level. Do you remember in Mark chapter 4 and verse 33? Mark records for us, And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He was the master teacher because he understood his audience and their learning ability. Just a few moments ago, we sat in the college age, young adult class we've been having. We've been studying the plagues and how the plagues go a little deeper than sometimes we teach our young people. We said, you know, sometimes they're not able to consider the depth of learning that can go on as we think about Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh and the ten plagues. So Jesus understood his hearer's learning level. In fact, in John chapter 16 and verse number 12, he makes the strong statement about his disciples, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He understood they weren't ready. They couldn't hear it just yet. They weren't going to be able to understand. But not only did he speak to their learning level, but he wanted them to think for themselves. In Matthew chapter 22 and verses 17 through 22, as he's teaching there, Matthew 22, 17 through 22, he asked them to think. You remember on that occasion, it's where they bring to him the question about taxes. And what does he do? He says, bring me the coin. Show me the money, and he shows it to them, and he says, whose image and inscription is this? What's he doing? He's asking them to think for themselves, to try to grasp the difficult thing that he's going to say as they can think about it. He truly touched people's lives. Question, do you remember in Matthew chapter 8 as he healed Peter's wife's mother, his mother-in-law? Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. Do you think that Peter's wife, do you think that Peter's wife's mother ever forgot what Jesus did for her in making her better and healing her? What about Luke chapter 8 and verse number 2? We learn that Mary Magdalene had suffered and been tormented by seven demons. Do you think for a moment that Mary Magdalene ever forgot how Jesus had healed her of those seven demons. 
Or in Mark chapter 5, as Jesus cast the demons out of this man that's listed there and changed his life, do you think they ever forgot? If you're here and you were taught the gospel, question, do you remember who taught you the gospel? I appreciate both Charles's comments, Bob's prayer about Carl and his work here as an elder. And I've heard many of you say, and I've heard Carl and Midge talk about how many people they taught in Bible class. And maybe many of them were baptized during that time, maybe they weren't. But so many of us remember the teachers who touch our lives. Jesus was remarkable. Jesus did that. Can we? Can we do the same thing? You see, he simply wanted them to have the best life. He wanted them to be faithful, to learn God's will, and to go to heaven. He says in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I came that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Is that the way we're treating the gospel message? Is that the way we are treating our opportunity to teach? Or is it something that we're keeping hidden? You know, in a couple of weeks, God be willing, we're going to stand right down here in the front with a bunch of kids in these pews, and we're going to sing a song where we hold our finger up and we talk about this light. And in that song, we talk about putting that light under a bushel. What do we do with our opportunity and our ability to teach? One final quote to remind us of Jesus' place as the master teacher. In John chapter 7 and verse 46, there's an officer who is supposed to bring Jesus to the leaders, and he comes back empty-handed. They're supposed to arrest him. When they come back empty-handed, the leaders say, what's going on? What happened? And what's their answer? No one, no man ever spoke like this man, the master teacher. We can't be the master teacher. And I'm not even trying to suggest that we can obtain, attain what Jesus did. But we should strive to be the best teacher we can be. And it's with that in mind that we pause here at the end of this lesson. And again, one more invitation to be back with us this afternoon. But we pause here to extend heaven's invitation. Let me tell you where we will begin this afternoon. There's a passage from the book of Hebrews that talks about how we should all be teachers. Well, what do you do with that? Are, are you sinning by not teaching? We're going to get into that this afternoon. But can I suggest to you that what we need to do is examine the greatest teacher there ever was and try to mimic what he did. As we stop this lesson, the truth is you can't teach what you haven't obeyed. And if you're here this morning, you've never been obedient to the gospel plan of salvation, we'll be singing to encourage you. If you are here and you're not a child of God, if you've not obeyed the gospel of Christ, you can't teach this to others. You can take a picture of this, you can write it down, you can have it in your Bible, but if you've not obeyed it, you can't teach it. Why not become obedient this morning? Maybe, brother or sister, you've done that, but you failed in some way. It could be that you've struggled to be the teacher that you need to be. It could be that you've missed the mark in some other type of way. Why not return to Christ? Why not return to service to God? Why not even this very hour? The elders of this good church would love to assist you in any way possible, even now as we stand together and as we sing.